I'm taking this reading today from the Message Bible. Um, it's Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Uh, the sheep and the goats. When he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged before him and he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep to his right and goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, enter, you who are blessed by my father. Take what's coming to you in his kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation, and here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Then he will turn to the goats, the ones on his left, and say, Get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was homeless and you gave me no bed. I was shivering and you gave me no clothes. Sick and in prison and you never visited. Then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison and didn't help? He will answer them, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you failed to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. Then those goats will be herded to their eternal doom, but the sheep to their eternal reward. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Personal stories. Personal stories can have a great impact, and I want to introduce you to Sandra, somebody who had a great impact on me. Sandra was a feisty young Scot, bristling with attitude, but trying to get close to her was a bit like trying to embrace a porcupine. We first met one winter evening when she knocked on the vestry door of a previous church, and she demanded, I want to be married in your church. I said that being married here would mean making promises to God. Do you know God? To say she was nonplussed doesn't really describe it. I said to her, come to Alpha, and then you'll know who God is, and then we'll marry you. So she came, she understood, and she committed her life to Jesus, and she was married. Now, Sandra was a complicated lady. She was the youngest of four children born in Glasgow. But her parents had only wanted three, so she alone was shipped out to the local children's home. She spent her whole childhood growing up in a children's home just down the road from where her parents and the rest of her family lived. The care home system for her was unsympathetic, and eventually she ran away. She married too young into an abusive relationship. 
And she soon came out of that clutching a restraining order and two young children. She moved to London, she was angry, she was alone. And this latest marriage only lasted a year or two, but just long enough for her to be unwittingly burdened with a mountain of debt. She was unjustly fired from her job, accused of embezzlement, and that spent three years getting to Crown Court before the judge threw it out on the basis of fabricated evidence. By this time, Sandra was suffering with breast cancer. And within a year of this photograph, she had no hair as a result of chemotherapy. Although she was 10 years younger than I, when I went with her to the Crown Court to get her declared bankrupt, the receptionist thought Sandra was my mother. And a year later, she was dead, leaving two barely teenaged orphans. There weren't many of Sandra's issues that could be easily solved. But what she found in the church was unconditional love. What she had gained in the church was a family. What she had experienced was support that she had never known. For the first time, people wanted her for what they could give rather than what they could receive. She was exhausting. She was emotional. She was fraught, time-consuming, draining, messy. But as I looked out in the congregation as I took her funeral service, I could see that this had become her family. This was her home. This was where she had belonged. And these were the people who would now care for her orphaned children. When Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, he means love sacrificially. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's not calling you to judge, but to love. And he's not calling us just to put 50 pence in the tin for the homeless. He's calling us to open our hearts and open our lives and give ourselves to love in those in need. So our question this morning, what does it mean to be a church that radically loves those facing poverty? I wonder what you think the key word in that title is. Maybe the important thing is church. Or maybe it's poverty. Or you look at that word radical. But actually the key word is love. Love is our calling. Love is who we are. Love is what we do. What does it mean to radically love? Radically, profoundly, completely, deeply, deeply love. Love is the keynote of all that Jesus taught. Love the Lord your God. Love one another as I have loved you. Love your enemies as yourselves. And Paul continues it. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Faith, hope and love, and the greatest of these is love. So if I were to say what describes God's mission in one word, it's the word love. And when we ask this question, what does it mean to be a church that radically loves those facing poverty, we have to start with love. Have you ever known an, out, an act of outstanding love? Has someone helped you when you've had an accident? Has someone saved your life? Has someone sat with you through times of utter distress? Has somebody given you a gift which just simply bowls you over? An act of outstanding love. It happened to Belinda and I shortly after we, we were married. We had no jobs, nowhere to live, no money. And when I say no money, I mean all we had was 50 pounds. And someone gave us a cheque for 250 pounds out of the blue. 
Now, that might, might, might not sound much to you, but in 1977, that was worth about 1,500 quid. We were stunned. We were astonished, speechless. That multiplied what we had sixfold, and it enabled us to buy food the following week. It was an act of outstanding love. We are called to radically love those in need. Jesus tells three parables here in Matthew 25, and they all teach us the same lesson. It's about the sin of omission. It's about the sin of not doing something. He tells us the parable of the young woman, the young women who were not prepared by buying enough oil for their wedding lamps. He tells the parable of the servants who were entrusted with their master's money and they had not invested it. And finally, he tells the parable of the sheep and the goats. Now, on the face of it, this looks like a parable about judgment, where the flock are separated into two groups. But they're separated on the basis of those who had and those who had not performed acts of love to others. Now, we're not to misunderstand Jesus' point. He's not saying this is the way of earning salvation, but he is saying this is what the heart does when it's transformed by the love of Jesus. It will express itself in acts of love. Do you know how the righteous, the sheep, are surprised when they ha- that they had been doing acts of love to Jesus at all? They weren't aware that the things that they took for granted were acts of compassion to their saviour. But what was different was what had motivated them. There are plenty of wonderful people in this world doing wonderful things for others, but they're not doing it through the love of Jesus. I heard this week that there's a museum opened in Bristol to honour George Muller, but he was not the only person to open orphanages, but his motivation was his love for Jesus. William Booth was not the only one who cared for the homeless, but the Salvation Army was motivated by his love for Jesus, bringing the gospel and bringing practical help in his name. To love for Jesus, we must have the love of Jesus. We must be able to say, as our daily reading this morning from Psalm 116 says, we must be able to say, I love you, Lord. Jesus asks Peter this question on the beach, do you love me? Do you really love me? And Peter answers the same, ta- same thing every time. Yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus gives the same reply. Feed my sheep. An expression of love without action is absolutely meaningless. If you visit a couple on their anniversary and you see no anniversary cards, what is it that you would conclude? Do you look at them and think, oh, they must be poor? Or do you think there's no love in that relationship? Love without action is meaningless. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Our love for others doesn't depend on how much we have. And it doesn't depend on how much time we have. But it's all about how much love we have for Jesus. So in this parable, what expressions of love does Jesus see? He talks about the hungry, he talks about the thirsty, the homeless, the unclothed, the sick, those in prison. Now, do we see any of those today in our society? Yes, of course we do. We see people struggling to make ends meet. 
We see the homeless, we see those who are sick, we see those in prison. The needs of our society seem just as acute as they did in Jesus' time. But somewhere in the back of our mind, there's a voice which says, hang on a minute, I pay my taxes so that the government can give these people benefits. Social housing, health care. This is now the government's responsibility. And even if they fall through the net, there are endless charities to help, so why me? And God's answer is this. It's because I called you to love. People aren't just a type. People aren't a project. They are individuals created in the image of God, loved with an everlasting God, and he calls you to love them as he has loved you. Do you know that two out of every five people in hospital never get a visitor? They're treated, but they're not loved. People are alone. There are people in prison separated from their families. At the Willow Tree Centre that I'm involved with, in, we, we visit women in Eastwood Park Women's Prison. Women whose children and whose babies are being brought up by somebody else because they're now in prison. They're alone. They're frightened. In our community, there are people living in fear. Fear about the funds they will have for the tomorrow's meal. Fear of the bailiffs coming. Fear of eviction. Fear of what medical results they may get tomorrow. Fear of an abusive partner. Friendless, on their own, no one cares, no one helps, no one to talk to. Where is love? Where is friendship? Where is support, we say? And God says, that's you. So why don't we? What's the hindrance that stops us loving those in need? You may have your own reasons, but for me, I think it's something to do with being too judgmental. The attitude that says somehow they've brought problems on themselves. I was out with Andy Smith the other Friday night with the Kingswood Street Pastors. And about three o'clock on Saturday morning in the little car park in Kingswood, we heard some sobbing in the darkness. And using our phone torches, we found a teenage girl crying her eyes out on her phone to her mum. She said she'd been beaten up. Andy spoke on that phone to her mum and reassured her that we would look after her daughter and make sure she was safe. But what went through my mind? What in the world is a teenage girl doing on the streets of Kingswood at three in the morning? I was being judgmental. That's not love, that's judging. We can tell ourselves that people cause their own misfortune, therefore it's not our issue. Jesus said, I don't come to judge, but I come to save. That's love. We're not called to judge. We're not even called to take pity. We're called to love. Pity gives money, but love makes friends. Jesus was accused of being the friend of tax collectors and sinners. Love makes friends. And that's why within CAP we have Befrienders. What a brilliant name. Not a technical advisor, not a support worker, but a befriender in the love of Jesus to be a friend. And to, what do friends do? Friends talk together. Friends drink coffee together. Friends share celebrations. They help 
when in need. One of our befrienders recently took someone out to the Avenue Cafe and they were told that it was wonderful just to feel normal again because they were so afraid of staying inside because of the number of bailiffs who were coming round. Being a friend. There's another befriender who's teaching somebody to cook and taking them pots and pans and utensils because they have only one saucepan and they can only cook three dishes. It's being a friend. Showing love is being a friend. The other week we took our friend to, and her daughter to Western Supermare for a beach day and lunch. And we took two of our granddaughters who are the same age as her daughter so they could build sandcastles and play cricket and go to the splash park together. It's about being a friend. Can you reach out to somebody to be a friend in need? Food banks, soup kitchens, drop-in centres are brilliant ways of support, but Jesus calls you personally, not your institution, not your standing order, but you, your time, your emotions, your energy, your life, he's calling you to be the friend. But just a thought. If you want to be a friend of someone in need, do it with discernment and do it with support. You need to make sure that you're sensitive and sensible and safe. So seek advice and support so that you don't put yourself in harm's way and you don't put others in harm's way. And while we're thinking about it, maybe the tables are turned and maybe you are the one to whom Jesus wants to send a friend, someone to support you. Sometimes we find it difficult to receive. It might be pride, it might be embarrassment, it might be we just don't feel we're worth it. But Jesus might be sending someone to you to be a friend. Will you allow yourself to receive? Because God is relational, it's his big thing. It's what the gospel's all about. We're created to be in relation with other people. A relation first with him and then to others. But more than just being relational, he's created us to be interdependent, to support one another and to be supported. So to cut ourselves off and to bring up the drawbridge is the antithesis of all that we are meant to be in Christ. We're never to despise an act of love. It's a lesson I learned as a child sat on the back seat of the car. My father had been very supportive of someone who'd recently been bereaved. And as a thank you, she gave him a pair of slippers. And as he got back into the car, I started to take the mickey out of this gift. A pair of slippers? And he turned, and I can remember the look, and I can remember the words. He turned and rebuked me, and he said, don't ever despise an act of love. Will you allow yourself to receive the act of love Jesus wants to express to you through someone else? And as you receive, so pass it on. Because in God's economy, he doesn't divide us into givers and receivers. We are all called to do both. So finally, how can we practically show love to those in need? How do we sacrificially love? How do we become a friend to someone we wouldn't expect? We have to be sensitive to opportunities. If you are motivated by the love of God, you will see the opportunities. It's what the parable of the Good Samaritan teaches. Today, we're celebrating all that God is doing through CAP. Are you part of that? Could you support? Could you resource? 
Could you be a befriender? You, could you move from being just a spectator to being a player? We have lovely folk coming to open church. Is there someone there who could benefit from you becoming a friend? Could you link with Andy and the Kingswood Street Pastors and show friendship by helping those who are vulnerable to stay safe? Could you support some of the new initiatives that Leila will share with us in a moment? Is there someone you know and you don't have much to do with and you could show them unconditional love? You may find a person that is very different to you, a person with different life experiences, a person with different needs, with different relationships. But just as Jesus loves you in all your peculiarities, so he loves them with the same eternal love and he chooses you to be the conduit through whom he can show them his love. If you have the right motivation, you won't find opportunities an issue. It's not opportunity that's the issue, it's our motivation, it's our love for Jesus. It's our willingness to be used and it's our understanding of what Jesus has done for us. So finally, how will we as a church be different when we radically love those facing poverty and need? Firstly, you will be changed. Your values, your prejudices, your perspectives, they will all change as you find the heart of Jesus growing within you. I'm a very different person for having known Sandra. My values changed, my understanding changed, my empathy changed, and I now better understand what Jesus meant when he said, love one another as I have loved you. You will be changed. And second, our church will be changed because friends bring friends and the profile and the demographic of our church family will change completely. We'll be more diverse, we'll be more outward looking. We will more, look much more like the society we live in. If you read James chapter two, you find harsh words that James says to those showing favoritism over those who are well off compared to those without. You will be changed and the church will be changed. And lastly, our witness will change. We will not be viewed as judgmental and aloof, but as a relevant and valued part of the community. And hearts will become open to see Jesus because they see his love in action, his love for them. People know love when they see it. They know whether love is real or fake. And they will see when the love of Jesus is reflected in his people and his church. I was struck by a question that Paul asked uh, on Thursday at the communion service. He said this. He said, what is God saying to you and what are you doing about it? What is God saying to you and what are you doing about it? Have you had enough of sitting on the sidelines? Enough of complaining about everything that's wrong? Enough of washing your hands of those who have complex lives? Let God change you so that you can be a friend to those he loves. Tim's now going to show us a video which challenges us to share God's impatience and to change our love from just being a spark to being a flame. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> 